Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Let's Talk ABM with me, Declan Mulkeen, CMO of account-based marketing agency, Strategic ABM. ABM is one of the hottest B2B strategies right now, helping companies to win, grow and retain their most important accounts. This podcast allows me to spend some time talking to account-based marketing leaders about their ABM programs and share their insights with other B2B marketers, wherever you are on your ABM journey. Today, I'm joined by Stuart Heineke, twice nominated to the Marketing Hall of Fame and father of contact marketing and renowned author of How to Get to Meeting with Anyone. Stu, thank you for joining me today. It's so great to join you. Well, I've got a lot of questions lined up and um, I think I, I put a post on LinkedIn actually the other day uh, with a photograph of, of your book that uh, arrived here in Madrid, How to Get a Meeting with Anyone. Um, fascinating um, many, many people recommended it to me before, obviously, I purchased it. And it's one of the best books I've read, actually, in the last few months, to be quite frank. And it's, it's, I think it's a book for, for, for this time. Um, can we, I mean, we're going to delve into it a little bit, but can you, you know, you talk about, um, or you've coined the phrase contact marketing. Can you tell us a little bit about what contact marketing is? Yeah, well, it's, it's, okay, it's kind of interesting. I mean, the, the genesis of it was, as I was writing the, the first of the two books, How to Get a Meeting with Anyone, um, I was interviewing the top sales thought leaders um, in the world and asking them, well, first of all, when you absolutely must break through to someone of great importance, like, you know, someone who's very, very difficult to reach, how are you doing it? Like impossible to reach. How are you reaching those people? And they would share all sorts of great stories, amazing stories about what they would do to break through. But um, well, as we were talking about it, I would ask, well, by the way, this thing that we're doing, because I use my cartoons. To, I've been using my cartoons my whole career to break through to people, people I should never be able to break through to. Yeah. And so I was asking, what, what's this, this thing that we're, that we're doing? What's it called? Is there a name for it? And everyone said, no, I, no, I don't think there is one. So I had to call it something. And so I, I gave it the name Contact Marketing in the book. Um, contact marketing is a fusion of marketing and selling, and, and we use really high-level, high-level high creative, let's say, very, very professional uh, creative in, in many cases to reach out to people who are of great importance. These could be top prospects or accounts, people at the at top accounts. And, um, and the object is to break through and create a um, really a breakthrough in your business. So that's, that's the, the essence of contact marketing. I guess the other part of it, though, is that Contact marketing is really, it's, you know, most marketing is, is, is based on uh, going out to large numbers of people, mm. uh, direct marketing and the television and digital and so on. It's, but this is not mass marketing. This is, this is a, a, a sniper shot to, the, to those scatter shots. Um, what we're interested in doing is reaching the people who have the greatest ability to change the scale of either our careers or our businesses. And I think that's obviously there's a there's a, a story in the book of in your early career, um, this infamous one hundred dollar campaign. Yeah, well, I think you're talking about the one that I did my first campaign. That's right, the one that you did to a, yeah. couple, a couple of dozen VPs of um, circulate. Of, uh, yeah, of New York magazines. Yeah. Well, so so I was just starting out. I wanted to create the, the thing that I wanted to do professionally is I wanted to. Um, create direct mail campaigns for the big magazine publishers in the States. Now they're different from those in, in, um, 
actually, I mean, like they're almost gone now, but mm. they were very different from those in the UK because in the UK, um, subscriptions weren't really much of a, much of a factor in how they marketed the magazine, how marketing, how, sorry, how magazine, magazines were marketed in the UK. It was all the news agents and, and so on. So people didn't sign up for subscriptions, but in the US, um, what was really quite common was that people would sign up for a, a one-year subscription and it would be delivered to your, to your home through the post and you'd get a deep, deep discount. Um, to sell that, they used a lot of direct mail. In effect, they were some of the biggest and most sophisticated users of, of direct marketing in the time and also had the biggest, um, the biggest budgets. So, so that's where I wanted to go. And so my first two assignments, I should say also, I wanted to, I had something very specific in mind. I wanted to m mix cartoons and personalization mm. to create a different sort of direct mail campaign. So m when mine show up, they'd have a cartoon about you. If they showed up at your place, I mean, in your mailbox, they would have a cartoon about you. Um, and I just knew this would work because I, I knew what cart I knew the nature of cartoons. I knew that they were the best read and remembered parts of magazines and newspapers, according to readership surveys. I knew that people would respond to them. So my first two assignments were for Rolling Stone and Bon Appetit magazines. Um, both of those beat the control. In statistics, we always test against a control group and in marketing and in, certainly in direct marketing, yeah. um, you're testing against the most effective thing they've ever used. It's, the, it's their record setter um, or record holder. So the first two assignments, again, Rolling Stone and Bon Appetit, both of those assignments, both of those test campaigns beat the controls, mm. which was remarkable. I mean, that's, they set new records um, right out of the box. So I thought, okay, perfect. This is my opportunity to reach the rest of the publishing industry and, and um, uh, do business with them. So what that meant was I needed to reach out to about two dozen people. These were VPs of, uh, of circulation at companies like Time Inc and Time Warner and Condé Nast, um, the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, et cetera. Yeah. And so I put together, a, you know, I knew that this would not be easy to reach these people, but, but what I did was I put together a little campaign. It consisted of an eight by 10 print of a cartoon that was personalized for each recipient uh, with a note that said, hey, this is the device I just used to beat the controls for Rolling Stone and Bon Appetit. I think we should put this to the test for your titles. And you know, if I'm often when I'm speaking in front of a group, I'll ask the group, what do you think I got for a response to this? And they'll guess all, all over. I mean, you know, the typical, the thing I used to hear is that the typical number of response rate for a direct mail campaign was 1%. Hmm. There is no such number, actually, but but that, if we use that number for a moment, one percent. And if you think about just think about click-through rates, for example, in digital, they could be thousands of a percent. Well, and the other thing we used to hear is that that one, a one hundred percent response rate was absolutely impossible. Well, in fact, that's what I got. The, yeah. the that campaign was a hundred percent response rate. I got through to all of them. All of them agreed to meet. Um, all of them then become, became clients, all of them. So it was 100% response rate and 100% conversion to a campaign that cost me about $100 and um, launched my business and was worth millions of dollars. Incredible. Well, actually, linked to that, Stu, obviously in the book, you, you, you illustrate the, the strange nature of CEOs and VIPs. Um, can, you shine a, can you shine a light on that for us a little bit? Well, I wouldn't say that they're strange. 
at all. Actually, they're they're very intelligent people, really very sharp people, and they're working. They're they're sort of working or or living um, in a different dimension than we are. Mm. Their, their lives are going much faster. Everything moves much faster, and so. <clears throat> um, Certainly, if you're going to if you're going to reach out to someone like that, you should um, you should be very brief. If you're going to send an email, for example, um, try to keep it under under a dozen words, actually. And they'll what you're then demonstrating is a, a respect for their time. Um, and you also think about what well, what are CEOs paid, and you, you hear about these ungodly amounts that they're paid. Um, so then, if you just break that down to let's say what's the, what is a minute of their time worth? not only in their in terms of their salary and bonuses, but also what's the, I mean, they're paid a fraction of what they're actually worth because they're moving a company in a direction that changes its scale, perhaps. So the, the scale of their, of their efforts is, is far greater than the scale of their, their pay. But still, if you just break it down, they're, it's probably a few thousand dollars per, per minute. And that's just very, very valuable time. So you don't, you don't want to be approaching them uh, with the uh, with the notion that you can take all the time you need, you've got to be very very quick. Um, so you've got to express uh, you've got to express uh, value very quickly. Um, you need to know you don't want to be calling and then asking them sort of like what do they do <laughs> or what what are some of their biggest problems. You you need to know. You need to have really done your homework. But I think ultimately the thing that we want a contact marketing campaign to do is to introduce you in a way that has the recipient saying, oh my God, I love the way this, I love the way you think. Because if you do that, if you've reached out to someone that you don't know, who's very busy and very difficult to reach, and you got that reaction, you're way, way ahead of the game. And that's probably linked to, I think you mentioned when we were talking previously about, um, I think it was Aaron Ross from Predictable Revenue who kind of shared a story with you. Yeah, he that that was an interesting one. He he had said to me that he um, he'd reached out to Mark Benioff. Mark is the, the founder of Salesforce.com, mm. and so a very busy guy. Um, so he reached out to to Mark Benioff, and he did exactly what I just suggested. Actually, he suggested it to me, and I think that it made sense. He made sure that his message was less than a dozen words. It was essentially, Mark, we do this. Is that is that of interest or is that useful? And um, and he, he got a response. He figured out what his what his email address is, and um, that's usually not very hard to do. And he got a response within thirty seconds. But that's remarkable. I've got to try. You know, it's sort of a mischief thing. I I've got to try that. And so I tried it and um, and got the same result. You can um, you can get you know as I hear people salespeople complaining about. Um, about the response rates to their to their, their sequences, and I just got to think about what the nature of a sequence is. It's just it's a blast of email that goes out to a lot of people. It probably has a lot of copy. Um, it has that little uh, slug at the bottom that says it was sent through X Y Z email service, and here's how you unsubscribe and so on. It's not a personal bit of correspondence, and a CEO would never take the time to read something. No C level executive, and probably most decision makers wouldn't take the time to read something like that. And they wouldn't, you know, the more you sent, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work in your favor. But if you send someone an email that has very, very few words, a very simple question and demonstrates, you don't say, I, re I respect your time, show it. Mm -hmm. And it demonstrates that 
then um, then it really makes sense. You know, the other thing um, beyond what Aaron suggested about keeping the, the message very, very uh, short is is to identify some times when you're most likely to get that email through to someone like like Mark. Uh, he's a pretty good a pretty good representative of someone who's very difficult to reach, but someone who could change your life. Yeah. Um, if he became a client. So one of the things um, that had been suggested by Mark Hunter actually was to uh, was to send emails either Saturday morning, early Saturday morning, um, or Sunday evening, six or seven ish. And the reason he suggested that is because there is no gatekeeper. I hate calling them gatekeepers, but anyway, there's no one watching or or filtering the email. They're looking at their email account directly. And and Saturday mornings early, they're um, they they will check in just to see what's happening before they start their weekend. And Sunday evening, it's it's a different different time in their in their uh, in their weekend when they're saying, okay, what am I doing this week? And so they're at their at their computers and they're they're already. Uh, working so you can get responses um, just based on timing yeah and yeah I mean the, the whole kind of concept of context relevance and timing obviously is key in any approach really um you talk about a VIP makeover now are you referring to how we as individuals who are looking to prospect should undergo some form of VIP makeover well I you know I do think that we we can be doing things to um to have more gravitas, I suppose. Mm, mm. Um, they can be a lot of things. I, I, one of the, actually, one of the great things that, that you can do is get involved with a charity. And, um, and, and if by being involved in a charity, um, you, are, you, you can then reach out to someone and they, they may be, you may have a connection in common actually through the charity. Um, I, I think that's a good one. I, I'll tell you, you know, uh, being a Wall Street Journal cartoonist is a big one for me because when I call people and and if I'm introducing myself, part of the VIP makeover is is creating a VIP statement. So again, a dozen words, a dozen seems to be a, a theme here, but a dozen words or less, how do you introduce yourself? Mm. And and so I, I go over a little bit, but if I say, hi, I'm one of the Wall Street Journal cartoonists um, and I'm sending a print of a cartoon, of one of my cartoons and it's about your boss, well, that's a great way to introduce myself to yeah. an executive assistant. And I will get a great react. I do get a great reaction out of that. Usually it's what really? Um, so that opens the door and, and you want to have uh, these, these things about you that cause people to become, well, just sort of to arrest their, their, um, their intent of, of getting through the day and getting through these phone calls and, mm. and you're another one of those phone calls to get through and you want to find a way to make it a little more interesting, actually a lot more interesting, so that you stop that pattern and, and get them to say, what, wait a minute, really? So um, so even, I mean, I one of mine, beyond being the, the one of the Wall Street Journal cartoonists, is that I also started a, a, um, a charitable group. It's called cartoonists.org and we're a group of cartoonists from the Wall Street Journal and the New Yorker and we donate our art to help charities raise funds. So if I'm reaching out to someone who's involved with charity uh, and I want to connect with them, of course, and that's why I'm reaching out. One of the things I might do is just to say, oh, I would really love to talk to you about how I can, how we can support the work that you're doing with XYZ charity. Mm. Uh, but you want to be, you, you just, you don't want to just show up saying, hi, I sell, I'm a, I'm a salesperson and you know, I want to sell you something because that doesn't really, 
doesn't really, doesn't really convey a lot of, of value. And you, you want to be doing that. That's it's part of that value is just who are you as a person? Yeah. And I think, I think particularly, as you were saying, if you're targeting VPs and CEOs and the kind of whole C-suite, you need to get personal really. And you need to, you need to give them a very, very good reason why they should be even, you know, in, as you said, talking to you, engaging with you, listening to you and, and building some form of rapport around some kind of shared or common interest is, is key really. Um, I thought it might be interesting to share this with you. I, I was, you know, Alex Oley, who's obviously one of the co-founders at ReachDesk, you know him very well. Um, we were, we're doing a kind of a series at the moment called ABM in the house. And, and we were literally just um, talking the other day about how to kind of define or redefine your ideal customer profile, i.e. which kind of accounts should you be going after? Now, you talk about this very same thing in, in, in your book. Um, Talk to us a little bit about that, how you decide what, you know, who you should be prospecting um, with. Well, I mean, in the, in the book, um, I talk about compiling a, a top 100 list. Um, and these are the people, let me back up a little bit. If you think about it, every big thing that happens in our lives happens because we've had meetings, because we've connected with the, mm. the right people at the right time. So, um, so extending that, well, then who are those people? Who, who should they be? Who should you be reaching out to? Um, and they, if you sell for a living, then obviously these would be, um, I guess we could call them dream clients, or they might be that you're assigned accounts, but, um, but you certainly need to know who they are. Um, you can be, if you have the list, that's first step in organizing this, all of this work, all of this, this effort to connect with the right people, um, you can start to set up things like um, Google Alerts to, to alert you to when, when they're in the news and when something's said about them, um, because you need to get to know who they are. Um, you can also do profile scrapes. You, there's a lot of really interesting ways to do that. Seamless.ai is kind of an interesting way to, to get it at um, details that would take a long time to find otherwise. Um, but you, you really want to get to know I mean, this is your. This is an audience of people who can change everything in your life. So, get to know who they are, what they're interested in, what are they talking about, um, and find ways to to reach out to them. And you know what I'm describing actually is the basis of deep personalization as opposed to mm. wide personalization. Mm. So, wide personalization is what I've used in all of those big direct marketing campaigns. I mean, when we were doing when we were doing direct mail campaigns, let's say for Forbes. Um, and and you know, assuming my campaign was the was the new control, well, that would go out to, to a couple million people at a time. Um, and all we needed to, and, and of course, there's personalization in the in the cartoon. I mean, that's that's why that that's why mine became um, controls is because the the personalized cartoon element was so successful. Well, that's a great example of wide personalization. All we needed is there is the correct spelling of their first and last name, and of course. A, right, a correct address. And then we could make a very personalized experience right on the outer envelope or the face of the, of the mailing. But deep personalization came about when, uh, I, I guess as a result of social media and, and the internet, in, in both instances, we're able to get a lot more information. I mean, we can go to people's profiles and get their pictures and do really interesting things with their pictures if we wanted to create a, let's say a, a card to reach out to them. Um, you can use their picture as, as the art for the card. 
Um, but you also get a chance to just understand who they are and what they're really interested in and what, what they're talking about and what they're thinking, almost what they're thinking about. In fact, there's, there's another, AI is really interesting in the way that it's becoming part of the, the selling process. And so, um, uh, I, I can't, there's a, there's a, there's another AI platform that, oh, it's called Ensable. And it actually, I, it'll listen for, it'll watch for si buying signs. And, uh, and then it will alert you to who's actually looking to buy what you sell, especially in the technology sector. Um, there are really interesting things out there that help you create really, really relevant outreach. And so deep personalization is about using profile scrapes to then craft a, a very individualized, uh, usually it's a gift, but some, some form of approach that is tied to what you know about the person. I mean, they could just have a, a dog named a dog named Uncle Bob, um, and you could send them something. I mean, I, my cartoons would be. I could send them something, a cartoon about Uncle hmm. Bob, pretty easily, and and they'd be thrilled with it. Um, but there are so many other examples of people saying they they discover that someone is really interested in falconry. Then you'd send a glove, a falconry glove, just as a gift, or or a, a personalized apron because they're in, because they're really interested in cooking and and uh, family or something like that or or maybe cooking and technology. I'm actually talking about actual um, campaigns that people have done that they've they've sent the gift out and they've gotten through when no one else was able to get through to them from their company or from their sales team. They get through because they've tapped into something that's very very important to them. So those are those two forms of personalization, deep and wide. Yeah, those two actual examples I picked up on those in in, the, in your book actually, which um, I think it was a, it was some um, somebody wrote into you to kind of thank you for your book, and they talked about a couple of examples, and, and one of, you mentioned one about the apron, and, and I think it was an Arthur, Arthur C. Clarke quote yes. that they had em embroidered on the on the apron. And, and as you said, this kind of scraping or it, it sounds a little bit ominous, but just obviously, you know, using publicly available data to know what people like and don't like. And, and the example of the falconry and the falconry glove, that must have been very special. I know, I know that with our own agency, we, we've done very similar things. And, you know, we, one contact that we were looking to engage with, who was a very senior contact, we, we kind of found out that um, they were a great uh, kind of, you know, netball, which is uh, kind of like basketball uh, lover. And we, we sent them some personalized uh, shoes and, and they absolutely loved it and they, they became a client. So it's those kind of, as you said, those kind of personal human touches that go beyond the kind of the classic kind of merchandise, the swag, the kind of the books, the pens, the, the, the iPad or whatever, you know. I think we've got, we all of our desks are covered with all kinds of paraphernalia and merchandise that we've received from various events. Um, well, just a quick one, actually. So you've, in, in your book, you go into great detail about how to run a contact campaign, right? And obviously there, there, there is you know, immense detail about it and it goes into each step. But can you just give us a flavor of how, how, you, you, know, how you see a campaign running? Well, I, man, there are just so many ways, so many different approaches, but um, um, I'm trying to think how I would like to answer that because I could, ex I could explain how we use cartoons. It's just a really, really quick yeah. That, um, but there, I mean, and I, I don't got to say, I mean, I talk about cartoons a lot, but, um, but there are so, God, there are so many. And the other, another one that's just one of my personal favorites is um, visual metaphors. They're, I just love them. I think they're, they're, 
They're amazing. I'm, I'm going to show you something. I know that this is a, this is an audio, but what I'm showing is an ultra realistic coffee spill. Um, the cup, it's a paper cup, coffee cup, but it's been custom made so that uh, the the person's logo and their I mean, and their their contact information is on there. Actually, so the, I mean, the marketer's logo and contact information is on there. So this is actually a drop-off device. This is this is a device that is used when they just drop in and and they're they're visiting. Uh, they're just going to stop in on somebody's office and ask if they're there. And usually they're not. The response is, of course, not. Receptionist is not going to let you through. So okay, great. I just wanted to leave this, and this changes everything. They'll be they will sometimes be say be saying. Wait, hang on a second. Let me see if he's in after all. <laughs> it's interesting. It's a, it's a, it's a device. It's just this, um, this device of fat. It's a fascination. It's something yeah. that someone will get and they will never throw it away. They'll keep it on their desk because everyone else, it'll look like something you got from a joke shop. Actually, it's so realistic. It does look like you spilled your coffee. Well, well the good news, obviously, Stu, because we obviously we're recording this on Zoom, people can actually obviously see that. So that'll be, that'll be, oh, okay, that'll good. definitely, yeah, yeah. So, um, and I, I was just thinking, actually, that if that happened to me and and and, and my PA came in and and brought that into the office, I'd, I, you know, it made me think twice: is who is the person or who is the company behind this, and and how come everyone else just drops a, a business card and these guy and these these guys are are doing something so so unique? Look, just to just to end on, really, um what what one thing would you say to anybody involved in sales and marketing that they should do differently tomorrow morning they come in they've seen they watch this this webinar they watch this interview with you uh they, they get inspired they probably even go onto amazon and buy your book um but what's the one thing they should be do, what's the one thing they should be doing tomorrow I was going to say that. What's the first thing I would suggest? <laughs> well, okay, sorry. Let me rephrase that. What's the second thing they should be doing no, no, no. then? You should because, and it's not because I'm selling the books, but because there is so much information in there about, in both books, of things that you can do, um, or, or at least things that will give you inspiration. But what would be the first thing uh, other than that? I would say realize that, we, I guess we do realize, we realize that, that, magic happens for meetings. Not every meeting, but certainly meeting the right people. That's, it, that is how our lives are propelled forward. And so the ability to get a meeting with anyone is really kind of a superhuman power. So you need to get, you need to think in an audacious and very creative way. I mean, just give yourself permission, I suppose, to be just kind of wild and mischievous about how you're going to do this. And, you know, I, we, just, we just described a little bit about profile scrapes and using deep personalization. You know, the wonderful thing about that approach is that it's, it's not a formal campaign at all. It's just seeking out this information, finding out what people are interested in, and then coming up with something that you can send them or do for them. It might be an experience as well, but something that you can, <clears throat> that you can convey to them that causes them to just stop dead in their tracks and say, who is this? Man, Wow. I'm impressed, they really did their homework, or wow, this is funny, this is hilarious, or wow, this is really impressive. I've got to, I, I just, I love the way you think, I've got to meet you. I mean, just to summarize, I mean, with all this kind of noise that we all have nowadays in our lives, in our work lives, and in our, in our, in our social, personal lives, you, you, you need something just to cut through that noise, right? Absolutely, yeah, do it, and, and do it in a way that, well, I, I would say actually do it in a way that, not only has people saying, I love the way you think, but has them showing it off. And I don't mm. know if we have time for a little story, man. May I share one? 
please. Yes. So there's one of the most interesting, and I, I wrote about in, in Get the Meeting, my most recent book, I wrote about we need a replacement for business cards because business cards, just, they're not following the right strategy anymore. They're, they're seeking to make us look important and impressive. And, you know, so there's sort of an arms race of using thicker stock or sandwiched paper stock or debossing, embossing, foil stamping, uh, um, uh, etched metal, etc. But it all follows a, a strategy that doesn't really make a lot of sense. I think pocket campaigns do. It looks like you're you're pulling out a, a business card, but what you're really pulling out is an involvement device that leads to a um, to actually to visiting a website or a web page that sets a pixel and and sets in motion a a digital uh, persistence campaign. Well, so one of the inspirations was was someone who had a card made out of this, just a bit a bit of sheet rubber, um, and what. So the thing is that the, the rubber was stretched on a jig and then the, um, the, the fellow's contact information was, was printed on it. And when it, once it dried and cured, they take it off the, the jig. And now all of that information was squeezed together on, the, on this floppy little rub, rubber card. And, and so he said that every time he'd hand out one of these cards, let's say he went to the pub and he got in, into a, a conversation with someone and they eventually they get to, well, what do you do? What do you do? Well, do you have a card? Yeah, sure, of course, here's, here's mine. And then, well, well, he would hand this out. <laughs> and, and the person would just quite naturally, they, because they couldn't read it yet, it's sort of like a balloon that's been deflated, you know, and, but printed. So they stretch it to read it and it reveals it's Paul Nielsen's card. He's a fitness trainer. And guess what? He already has you exercising, <laughs> right? So people, would, they, they'd get so excited about it that they would um, they'd say, gosh, can I keep this? Yeah, of course. It's my business card. So they'd take it to, the, to their office or just, they'd just take it around with them and they'd show it around because they got such a kick out of it. And every time they'd show it, the, the person would just would start to, to stretch it and they'd say, look at that, he's a fitness trainer and he already has you exercising. Well, this is also a visual metaphor or a metaphor for sort of the fun approach that Paul takes to, to working out, which is important because you know it should be fun. And he said that every time he handed one of those out, he would get three or four new clients. So he gave one out. If that one person became a client, if that happened every time, what he would be getting is a 100% response to that pocket campaign. But he was getting three or four. What's happening mm. with that? People were so excited about it. They were so enamored with it that they were showing it off. Yeah. And, and the people that they were showing it to were also responding to the campaign. That's remarkable. That's... that's um, I would say that's contact marketing in a nutshell. That's a great way to end this, um, this interview, this chat. Stu, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and uh, thank you so much for sharing all these great stories today. Thank you, Declan. What a, what a pleasure to join you. If you enjoy this episode of Let's Talk ABM, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Feel free to rate and review this podcast. Thanks so much for listening.